0: Hi! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Thank you. So glad that you guys could join us here tonight, as we continue our theme of salvation is a process. Um, and I want to go ahead and look at a very specific passage here uh, in Acts, um, as we you know continue to um, discuss this idea of what is salvation and what does it mean that it's a process. Um, and we can, we can look at some of these biblical examples to kind of get a better grasp of what that means. Because it's not you're instantaneously just, whoo, you just wake up and you're done. You don't have any more temptations and sin just disappears and you're all, you know, great. That's not the case. Um, and we see that as we look in the scriptures. Uh, and this is, uh, uh, we'll, 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 we'll get into this. But, but I do want to start with prayer and um, just kind of God to uh, speak to us and kind of open up our minds and and really touch us here and kind of get a grasp of what he's saying. In Jesus' name, Lord, we love you. We worship you. God, you are the mighty God. I pray, Jesus, that you would, Lord, move in your spirit, Jesus, that you would, God, touch all those, Lord God, who are watching right now, whether they are watching Jesus in the comfort of their home, Lord, or on their uh, travel plans, Jesus, or in their car or with a workplace or on their lunch break, wherever they are. We pray that your spirit, God, would go to them, Jesus, and touch them wherever they are, Lord God, whatever state, whatever country that they are in, Jesus. I pray that your spirit would touch them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about Mr. Saul. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, verse 7. Uh, verse 7. So Acts chapter 9, verse 7. And I am reading the net version, just so you guys are aware. I'm reading the net version. That seems to be the the version I seem to like. Um, So here we are. So Ananias. So this is just a, we don't hear about Ananias. Ananias just kind of appears in the the scriptures. Uh, He's just this very faithful saint. And God calls him out and says, I want you to do something. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and played his hands on Saul. So God calls out Ananias and says, I want you to go and go and pray through Saul, uh, the murderer. And so Ananias, I'm sure, was terrified and did not want to go uh, because he heard about his reputation. But Ananias was faithful. Ananias was obedient. Uh, God would not have talked to Ananias if he was not. Um, so... <laughs> It tells you there's something. If you're faithful with the small things, God, uh, you know, gives you some really amazing responsibilities, and it's pretty cool. Ananias, we don't hear about him ever again. He's just this kind of, uh, you know, obscurity. We don't see where you hear about him, but but we do hear about his convert here, the person he he got uh, in hold of, and um and that was Saul. And so Saul, of course, he's on his way to Damascus, and um, as he gets to Damascus, he uh, gets knocked off his horse, actually doesn't say that, but he, but he falls off, but, and he sees the, the risen Lord. And, uh, and he says to go wait. Uh, and then Ananias would come in or he didn't say Ananias, but said, someone's going to come in in, and pray for you. So he was there for three days. So anyway, he placed his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, as you came here has sent me so that you may be, see him again. And be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So obviously, having the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, evidence was speaking by the tongues, is critical to a disciple's life, as we can see. Saul had to wait until he was filled with the Spirit. Well, there's a whole sermon in that. He had to wait until he was filled with the Spirit. But he was filled with the Spirit. And then immediately, something like scales came off his eyes, because remember, he was, he was struck blind. He couldn't see. And he had to wait, and he's blind. He's waiting there three days for Ananias to show up. Uh, And so scales fell from his eyes, and he could see again. And he got up. And what has happened? And he gets baptized. So he gets baptized in Jesus' name. And afterwards, taking some food, his strength returned. And for several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. So we see that he is with uh, disciples, other disciples in Damascus. And immediately, and immediately, and immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, this, is, this man is the son of God. So he's going around, and immediately, as soon as he was baptized, as, as soon as he spent a few days with people, boom, he's booking it. He's going around talking about Jesus. He's about the gospel. And uh, verse 21, all who heard him were amazed and were saying, is this not the man who in Jerusalem was ravaging those who called on his name? and who had come here to bring them as prisoners to the chief priests. This is the guy that was murdering the Christians, and now he's one. Verse 22, but Saul became more and more capable, was causing consternation among the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving, by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And remember, this guy is, he knows his scripture. And he's going around there and he is arguing and he is proving that Jesus is the Christ. And it's really bothering the Jewish leaders. They don't like that. He needs to get in his place. And um, and so, Russia's verse 23. Now, after some days had passed, the Jews plotted together to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot against them. They were also watching the city gates day and night so that they could kill him. So they're going to kill this guy. This is serious. This wasn't like we're going to go ahead and uh, picket your business. Um, we're not going to purchase your product. Um, we're going to go ahead and and you know have signs that say very mean things to you. No, they're going to kill him. So let's let's get a perspective here. This is real persecution, my friends. They're going to kill him. Uh, verse 25, but his disciples took him at night and they let him down through an opening in the wall by lowering him in a basket. So they just, in the cover of night, they put him in a basket. They lowered him over the walls and he ran for his life. Uh, verse 26, and when he arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to associate with the disciples. And they were all afraid of him because they did not believe that he was a disciple. Was this some kind of trick? I mean, is this some ploy to get in and get to know the leaders and then eventually get everybody... Here. Now watch this, verse twenty-seven. Verse twenty-seven. So, um, but Barnabas took Saul, brought him to the apostles, and related to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So here's Barnabas. Thank God for Barnabas. He he saw something in in, in Saul here, verse twenty. So he was staying with them, associating openly with them in Jerusalem speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. He's going around, and he's proclaiming the name. Verse 29, he was speaking and debating with the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, but they were trying to kill him. Again, he is too zealous. Wherever he goes, people want to kill him. Verse 30, when the brothers found out about this, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him away to Tarsus. And that's kind of where I want to focus for tonight is that last passage here. So they sent him away to Tarsus. So here he comes. He gets the Holy Ghost. He gets baptized. He gets the revelation of the oneness of God. He understands who Jesus is and and, and everything becomes clear to him. And he starts preaching and then people are trying to start killing him. And then they, he goes to the disciples. They, they, get, they get it. You know what? This guy has converted. We can definitely see that because he's going around and, and making all kinds of enemies. And finally, the disciples said, you need to go to Tarsus. And we have to understand that Luke, the writer of Acts, he, um, he has to condense everything. And so he condenses this very important segment of, of Saul slash Paul's life. And uh, he goes to Tarsus and he's in Tarsus for 10 years. Um, give or take a year. Uh, for most historians, most biblical uh, historians, they believe it was about 10 years he was in Tarsus. What is Tarsus? That's his hometown. They sent him back to his hometown. And as the Jerusalem church wanted to preserve Paul's life, they sent him back to his hometown to live with his family. We don't know if he went back to his parents' home or his grandparents' home or his uncle's home or his aunt's home. Well, he went back home to be with his family. And Saul spends close to a decade of his life at his hometown. This was definitely a trial for him because now that he has seen the risen Lord, his family and close friends don't understand his conversion. We don't know if he married because during this decade or oh, he was betrothed to his future wife only to have break the engagement because her parents did not like that he was a follower of a criminal and his gang of sc- scoundrels. We don't know if he did get married and, and and that the wife of his youth died from malaria or some other common disease that killed people at that time, or some parasite that was sure fatal for anyone at this time. Maybe he had to grieve her death and find purpose in God's calling in his life and never marrying again because he did not want to deal with that kind of loss again. Or, or maybe his zealous beliefs and about Jesus caused him to live a secluded and ostracized life from his friends and his family. and who rejected his message and his radical views of scripture, making tents, talking to people and waiting to see who would come, waiting to see if he'd ever get called back into action, living back at his house. Now, with the marriage segment, I, the way Paul writes, he he has, he writes very, very clearly about marriage. And again, I can't prove it, but I wonder if he was married and something happened to his wife, something fatal. We don't know. But here he is making tents, talking to people, reflecting back on the scriptures he had memorized, learning to find Jesus in every prophecy and on the passage of the Torah. He had to rethink everything. He had to learn with a new lens and he had to change his ways. And as he made tents, he talked to people about Jesus, and kept thinking about the scriptures in a new way he started to get clarity during this time about his theology about his understanding of the gentiles and it was a process this journey it didn't happen overnight but it was a silent decade that's my title tonight a silent decade at tarsus a silent decade at home, a silent decade where Saul now spent his formative years relearning the scriptures with Jesus at the center of everything. As we talk about salvation being a process, I do want to mention that Paul wanted to start his ministry right away. But he had to spend a decade at home before he was ready to be approached by Barnabas. Now we don't read all of this. All we know all Luke gives us is he went back home, maybe he was living in his parents' basement. That's always nice. Grown man going to have to go home and now he's living in his mother's basement or his father's basement, his parents' basement and he's just he's just working. He's talking to people and he's changed. He's a different soul. You know, he, he's, he's seen the way and he makes sense. And that makes people really nervous. Is when you start making sense and they didn't like that. You now we never hear about his family. Did they reject him? Maybe he was too zealous. Huh? But. It was his formative years, it it changed him. A silent decade. And then sure enough, God remembers Paul. God didn't forget. He had to work for him. And he sends Barnabas to get him. And Barnabas probably finds him, making tents, talking to people and getting, you know, his their eyes rolled like, okay, okay, so, yeah, yeah. That Jesus, yeah, the criminal, of course. He was the Messiah. Yeah, thank you very much. A decade, that's 10, ten years. That's a, That's a pretty long time. A lot could have happened in 10 years. A lot did happen in 10 years. We just don't know. Remember, Luke had... Look how to keep everything abbreviated in, in one scroll. You couldn't have multiple scrolls. And we see our Saul, our brother Paul, 10 years in silence, rethinking and reflecting on Jesus. If you were to confront him and say, what does it mean to serve God? And of course, you know, this was before his conversion. He'd say the temple, of course, and and the Torah. And we need to, you know, those are the two important things. But now that he's converted and now that he sees Jesus and everything, he sees all the parallels pointing back to this Jesus. Everything is connected to him now. He's in the center of everything. It all makes sense. The scriptures become clear. And I wonder what happened. I wonder if there was a point where everything just makes sense for him. And then Barnabas just kind of appears and says, all right, Mr. Paul, it's time to get to work. Don't discount the silent decade in your life, my dear brothers and sisters. Well, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. No, no. You should be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Making tents. Talking to people and reflecting on the scriptures. And just watch what God does. Don't speed up the process. You don't get knowledge overnight. Theology is hard. It takes time. There's a lot of thinking. Some of the greatest theologians are in their 70s and their 80s. I'm always like, why are they so old? And it's like, Bill, why are they, you know, why are they good at that time? It's, you know, when you've had 50, 60 years to percolate and think about the scriptures, things really start to line up. You really grasp what it's saying don't discount these formative years. I don't know, maybe maybe this pandemic has been a silent year for us, huh? We feel like we've just been sitting and thinking, haven't been very doing much. Hey, brothers and sisters, the church is opening up. It's right down this time. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I get picked on here. But it is, it is. Next week is, is June and time just flies we'll be together maybe god took this year like the decade of silence for paul and just kind of grounded you and rooted you and clarified some things for you so when you're ready to get together when we're all back together you're ready to work you're ready to roll up your sleeves and do what needs to be done and brothers sisters there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We have half a million people living in the Newcastle area. Our neighbors, our brothers, sisters, our cousins, parents, uncles, people who don't understand who God is or don't understand the revelation of Jesus. God's going to start using us. He's going to use us in our workplace. He's going to bring people to us. And let's be prepared, let's be ready. What's amazing is Paul wasn't bitter when Barnabas showed up after 10 years. He wasn't like, really, Barnabas, now you guys come? You sent me here for 10 years and I waited, wondering when you'd come, and now you show up. Go find someone else. <laughs> Why don't you go find someone else to do your job? You sent me away for 10 years. Didn't you see I believed in Jesus? Didn't you see how zealous I was? I preached the gospel. I was reaching for people. And then you sent me away for 10 years, rotting away in my hometown where I have no respect. A prophet has no honor in his own home. My family thinks I'm crazy. No, he he got the revelation. He understood he was supposed to be there. He was supposed to sit down. And, and maybe Jesus was like, you know what? Let's just sit down. You know the scriptures. Now let me go ahead and clarify what they mean to you. Let them clarify what it means to me. Let you see through my eyes. So when you do come on an impasse and when you do confront someone like Peter, a big time church name and somebody you don't want to mess with who walked with Jesus for three years and you can call him out and say, you are wrong, my dear brother. We are called to the Gentiles and we should not place an undue burden onto them. That you can speak confidently without hesitation. Don't Discount this year, this pandemic of silence. You have been ingrained, and in God's word has been coming inside of you, and it's it's percolating, and it's moving, and it's and it's a bubbling, and it's alive. It doesn't just sit dormant; it moves inside of you, and it changes you. And this process, it just it's a continuation. It's an everyday thing, and God just keeps pounding at you. Pow. Every day, our God is relentless. He doesn't just do it once. He's constant. He's like a three-year-old that just keeps asking the same question over and over and over and over and over that you have to explain it to them in detail so they understand. He's constant. God is going to do a work, my dear brothers and sisters. God is positioning us for something powerful. I don't know who this broadcast is reaching. I don't know the seeds we have planted. I don't know all the new people that are going to come to our new campus. But we need laborers. Are you willing to work? Are you willing to roll up your sleeve and say, all right, I know it was a formative time and I know it was a good period, but now I'm ready. I'm ready to begin to do the work of the king because we got some exciting things lined up. But the laborers are few. We need laborers. Allow God to work in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. You knew exactly what you were doing. You knew exactly what you were doing. You knew this was coming. You knew, God, that we were going to get shut down. You knew, Lord God, our campus was going to get shut down. You knew, Lord God, that mold would find its way. You knew, Lord God, that we'd have to do all kinds of construction and go back and forth with insurance adjusters, Lord. You knew, Lord God, that you were going to develop and and develop your body, Jesus, for the work that we have in front of us. You knew, Jesus. You saw all of this. And Lord, we are ready. We're ready for whatever you have in store for us. We see the vision, Lord God. We see the people we need to be reaching out to, Lord. And we are excited, Lord, for what you're beginning to, God, be, what you're going to shift into place, Jesus, in Newark. And I know, Lord, there's a there's a shaking in the spirit. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Something is moving. Something is stirring we, we, we've, uh, we've started moving and shaking things in this community. God knows it. People are, people are questioning all kinds of things, their government and their leaders and, and what they put all kinds of false idols. And, and now they're questioning and now they're at a place and they're hungry and they want to know what is the constant in their life. And they want to hear about you, Jesus, how you're the constant. I pray God that we would be bold and see the work that you're going to do before us. We pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. My dear brothers and sisters, God is moving. God is moving. I'm not being cliche, okay? I'm not just saying that just to say it. I'm telling you, something is shaking, brothers and sisters. I feel it in my spirit. God is moving. God is moving. The world is falling apart, which is a good thing. That's a good thing because because we know where our trust comes from. We know who we trust, we know we know who our faith is in. It's not in in this world. It's not in this broken system, this fractured system. It's it's in the true God who who created and designed each and every one of us and he was calling all of us to relationship. Amen. Amen. Please like us, share this with us. Let us let our voice get spread out to all your friends and family and and let them know who we are and what we stand for and 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 you don't know you don't know who's listening you don't know who's sitting in their cars and they're scrolling and and we just pop up and they say, well let me just what is this about what is this guy moving his hands all around this, these crazy Pentecostals and and you know what? They might have touched them and, and they might just make a make a trip, decide, say, you know what, I'm gonna go check them online and I'm gonna go check the newarkupc.info info, and, and check out who these crazy people are. You know what? There's other stuff on there. Let me see. Hey, they do what they do a, a small group. What? They do a small group? What is that all about? You know what? It's on Zoom. I could, it's kind of low-key. I don't have to drive anywhere. Maybe I'll participate just to see who these people are. And 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 we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. But he's working. He's working, my dear brothers and sisters thank you for joining us tonight. I pray that you all have a wonderful weekend. Be with us here tomorrow night at 7, and I hope you all have a wonderful Memorial weekend. God bless, and I will see all folks tomorrow night at 7.